and um, alrighty. Well, hello everybody. Uh, welcome to the Texas A&M Collegiate Entrepreneur Organization podcast. Uh, today we have a very special guest, uh, Miss uh, Shelley Brinkman. Um, Shelley, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself. Howdy, I'm Shelley Brinkman. I'm a co-founder of Startup Aggieland and the Dorm Cubator, which was the startup LLC affiliated with Startup Aggieland. Uh, both of those were underneath the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship. And I worked uh, directly for Don Lewis, who is a professor in management at Mays Business School, and then later for executive director of the McFerrin Center, Dr. Richard Lester. That's, that's amazing. Did you mind defining for anyone who doesn't know what an incubator or accelerator is? Sure. We launched uh, Startup Aggieland as an accelerator back in the late 2011. Uh, we officially started the program in 20, November 2011, uh, occupied our physical space in Research Park uh, in January of 2012. And we chose to call it an accelerator because an accelerator is a 90-day program. Usually, usually it can go for six months. It's for a finite amount of time, whereas an incubator can go from one to two years and it's slower moving. Um, it's more work at your own pace. And we had an incubator and accelerator later. Um, we added the incubator component because we got so big and we wanted to take more students in who, who in some cases couldn't work as fast as what the accelerator students could work. That's amazing. What, what's, what does it provide? What does it um, do exactly? In our program, and all programs are different, um, whether they're commercial programs or not-for-profit programs, but in our program, because we were supported by some great donors and by some grants that we got internally and a few external grants, and we were supported by the different colleges, we were able to provide free office space. Um, We were able to provide free web hosting up to $100,000. We were able to provide free legal services, which was probably the best thing that we offered. It was through the AM Law School and firms, great firms like Wilson Sansini, uh, Dwayne Morris, and uh, the firms that had Aggie partners, they were willing to donate their services. And uh, the first firm that did that with us was uh, Carson's Calhoun out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And they gave $50,000 in free legal services, surface, services sorry, to the students at Texas A&M that were in, enrolled in the accelerator program. And they helped get patents uh, filed for the students at no cost. The A&M Law School also did this for our students. And all total in the eight years that I was with the McFerrin Center at Startup Aggieland, we had more than 50 patents filed by our students. Wow. Is there, um, so if, I, I think there'll be a lot of people who are really interested in this accelerator. Is there some type of admissions process that people would have to go through to get into this type of program? Startup Aggieland was launched as a class taught by Professor Don Lewis. So it was entirely student run for the first two years. The first year we were all volunteers and unpaid. The second year I was paid a minimum wage, seven and a quarter. And we had a couple other student workers like myself. I was a student at the time, finishing up my undergraduate at Mays. And I had been an engineering student way back. Um, so students did all the vetting. We heard the applications from the entrepreneurs and in their first two years, it was all students, um, any, any major, any classification. Um, then we became a little bit larger and we had more resources and more people involved. So we were able to offer non-students, faculty and staff the opportunity to apply. I think that's how they still do it. But in, in all honesty, Startup Aggieland has been closed since February of last year because of COVID. Um, the other programs, some of them are active still at the McFerrin Center, but the accelerator itself is not running. Gotcha. Do you have any idea of when it might reopen? I would, I, I'm sure because it's university property and university run now, it's not student run anymore. Um, there's limitations on the size of gatherings. 
that you can have in office and or in, in your facility. Um, so I, I would imagine when those restrictions are lifted by the university, then it could operate again. Uh, we actually, I'm at, you're seeing me today at Lake Walk Innovation Center, which is a former site. It was an off-campus site used by Startup Aggieland when we grew beyond 150 students. Our fire code um, was capped at 150 students. We sometimes push that limit just a little bit, but um, we, when we started getting to 300, 400 students, we would come out to uh, what is formerly the Nutribolt uh, headquarters here in the Texas State and Bio Corridor, now called the Lake Walk Innovation Center. And we used their eight-acre cor corporate campus for many, many programs, uh, pitch events, uh, co-jointly uh, sponsored with Blackstone, um, which was run by Don Lewis later on, and uh, other universities. We would do joint pitch competitions out here. We did events, raised money for um, charities. Uh, we had something that was a lot of fun called Startup Smackdown, where we would have these giant obstacle courses, inflatables, and um, raise money for charity locally. It would be startup <laughs> against startup. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, and back at Startup Aggieland, we had a ping pong table, and that was kind of our watering hole. It was right next to the kitchen. We always had food stocked in the refrigerator, and our startups would play for equity. They would compete in ping pong for <laughs> equity in their startups. <laughs> They pay for equity. They they would play and they would bet equity in their companies. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> wow, a high stakes game. <laughs> it, well, it depends on the startup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it, in in terms of the startups, obviously the first part is you know figuring out what you want to do. So, did your accelerator in any way have you know help define the product and validate the assumptions you know they would have about the select market? Absolutely. And that was usually done in the, the incubator stage. Um, we really didn't take them into the accelerator un, until they had gone through the incubator once we split up like that. Um, so they, the students were required to go through the incubators lean startup boot camp, and that could run anywhere from six weeks. It was sort of self-paced, um, but it, it revolved around having 100 interviews. We used the lean startup methodology. And it's, it's basically you get out of the building and you talk to humans and you, you find out what what is the problem you're trying to solve from the user's perspective, not from your own? Um, there's a tendency among entrepreneurs to solve a problem for themselves. And it may not be something that people are willing to buy or use in the real world. And so you want to get out and talk to people about your idea. It's very simple, very easy to do. It's just having a conversation and being consistent in your questions. So you're comparing apples to apples, not apples to oranges. Um, and not leading the questions as well, because you want to give open-ended questions that someone can respond to and give you their ideas. And then when you get done doing these interviews, what you had in mind as your solution to a problem may be entirely different, but more on the money. It's more something in, in tune with the market. Yeah, exactly. One of the things I really like about the lean methodology is that not only does it value business value, but also, you know, validated learning. Yes. Yeah. And you can apply that in really entrepreneurial um, within a comp company. Um, more and more companies are innovating from within as opposed to outsourcing R&D and that they uh, value entrepreneurs or entrepreneurial students. And when they graduate, they've had some kind of experience as entrepreneurs, even if it's just the lean startup. Um, they use those terms in, in real world business as well. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you have a lot of experience, you know, instilling that sort of innovative culture with Startup Aggieland and, you know, also teaching these kids how to utilize the lean methodologies. So how do you recommend that we go about instilling these cultures into our teams and businesses? 
Well, since you're with CEO, I'm going to do a major plug for the CEO Global Headquarters. Um, I'm really good friends with the founder of the national, what was a national, now it's a global organization. They've got a ton of resources. If you give your members access to the website, to the, the, and you need to log in and get access to the resources, but they've got a lot of tools that are free for your members to use a lot of networking opportunities um, within the organization on a global basis. And they have over 700 chapters. So um, it's a great way to meet people and start building your network and learning for free. Um, the other free tool that we used quite a bit was Udacity videos by Steve Blank. Um, you can Google those, um, but it's U-D-A-C-I-T-Y. There's hundreds of them. Um, another website or another uh, provider is Gordon Doherty with Capital Factory. He's the current head of Capital Factory, and he's done some boot camps with us, and we're real good friends with him. He, he's got a company called Shockwave Innovations, and his resources are free as well. Um, great uh, firsthand, first-person uh, knowledge from Gordon, who has been in the industry for a long time. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. You're Those welcome. Super, super useful. Um, kind of a transition. Uh, we were wondering with your uh, expertise, is there any sort of, um, is there a specific field that you would currently recommend for young, young entrepreneurs to focus on if they wanted to start their uh, businesses in today's environment? It, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer that in two parts. And I want to real quick go back because I was remiss in not mentioning Rev Ventures with the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship. Uh, they formed a separate division that provides online curriculum. Um, they did a workshop with Ben Keating, who is a Le Mans driver and an Aggie um, who owns Keating Automotive Group. They've done a couple others that are extremely well uh, organized and uh, they're all online and easy to access for students. And there's a scholarship from McFerrin that will pay for any of the fees that are associated with the four fee based um, programming that they're offering online. So check that out too. Um, the the two-part answer to your question, as far as um, any ideas that are relevant right now, uh, would have to do probably with COVID response, um, things that people actually need, as opposed to say uh, something that would be considered a luxury item. Um, anybody that was working with me leading up to now, uh, if they didn't have something that was really fleshed out, I suggested that they uh, kind of shelve it mm. and, and wait until COVID was done. Uh, it's very hard to raise money if you haven't made a lot of progress right now. But the flip side of that is if you have an idea and you want to work on it and you've got the time to do it while you're on lockdown or you're, you're not able to do some of the activities that you have uh, had available in an in-person uh, environment, the other thing I'm telling students in particular is go see public parks, go see some of the landmarks. And, and when you're traveling, log in and work on, you know, find a Wi-Fi signal and work on your ideas. They're going to change when you get out and see the world. Hmm. Um, talk, get on Slack channels, you know, with folks, get on Startup Grind. It's free now. It used, didn't used to be free um, on the global basis. And start meeting people and exchanging ideas. You know, that's, that's how ideas form. And that's how you know what's really uh, important at the time that you're wanting to do something. Having an idea is not as important as understanding what the opportunities are. Um, yeah. So you have to look at what's going on in the world around you and, and where, the, the, where the real need is and where the impact is that you can have. And then how does that align with your skills as a student? Um, one of the ways that we used to involve students, particularly at the freshman and sophomore level, uh, most of them had vague ideas, but they hadn't really uh, had a chance to develop them. And so we would have them apprentice with a startup that was usually by a junior, senior, you know, upper, upper level uh, graduate student or PhD or postdoc. 
and do that for 90 days and just kind of shadow somebody and see, you know, how they develop their idea, how they went about, you know, launching. There's no better way to learn than doing. And it's, you can study, study, you know, right. uh, we call it ready, ready, aim, aim, shoot, <laughs> but it's better just shoot and, and figure it out. Hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. I think I've learned, I, I have my own Google solutions team and I think I've learned more about management in the past, like, months than I have in all the years just reading those like management books. Is that part of that new Google um, club thing on uh, at NM? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a great, I thought that was so timely. That was a, a great oh, it's, opportunity. It's a to get opportunity. Involved. Oh yeah. yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. But I mean, so now that you have your idea, now that you've validated the market, what are the first steps into really solidifying it and making it, you know, you know, real, not just an idea. Well, uh, again, two-part answer. If I'm talking to you from, say, the College of Engineering, I'm going to say make a, a minimum viable product. Uh, if it's got some kind of physical representation, even if you do it with clay or paper and you know popsicle sticks, start looking at the design of what you're trying to make. If it has a physical product, if it's a software product, do a rough uh, storyboard. You know, storyboard out. Say it's a mobile app. Storyboard out what how the uh, content will flow. And that'll help you see glaring gaps, things that are missing. Um, you can do that on your own, but at some point you're going to need a co-founder. We would actually not take anybody in the accelerator unless they had a co-founder. They hold you accountable. You hold each other accountable. And it's a whole lot easier to share the workload as a student to, if you have someone that's in the trenches with you. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to quickly touch back on that. Uh, one of the previous things you just said, I think it's super inspiring just the idea that what you're saying, like, you got to get out there and just start your, you know, start your experience. I think that's something that pers I personally need to hear. And I think a lot of people just need to hear, just get out there and, you know, try to build that experience, you know, either through the Google foundation, like uh, Andres is or just whatever. Yeah, that's a great program. Facebook's got something similar at, at AM. and um, I tell you, one of the greatest programs this, this weekend going on virtually uh, is three day startup. That's a really good program that was yeah. launched by two students. Um, they're, you know, graduated now, but it's worldwide. And that was their startup was launching three day startup. Um, but another really great program is Aggies Invent. And you don't have to be a college of engineering student to participate. I used to require my freshmen to participate in Aggies Invent because it runs the gamut. Not only do you learn how to do lean startup methodology and you learn how to validate, but you will make a physical prototype and maybe two if there's time. And, um, it's just very well organized, very well run. And looks great on a resume. Yeah, so that's amazing. If you don't mind me tracing back to the to sure. the MVP, the minimal viable product, I feel like one of the biggest issues with the minimal viable product is really defining how much you want to put in there, because it's it's good to have it be rough. You get it out quickly. You get to learn more as you get more and more feedback. But at the same time, it can't be too little and it can't be too much, because then it's inefficient. So how yes, do we yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. How do we find the like golden middle, like just right? Um, I, I really, I, you know, this is a little contrary to what some folks teach at, at Texas a but I really believe in going live with the product as early as you can. Um, students in particular are worried about being embarrassed by a product being rough. But if you look at some of the big startups that have, have um, turned into unicorns, what they started out with in a public realm was horrible and they're embarrassed by it. Now you can Google, you know, some of the big tech companies and say um, investor prospectus or investor pitch. And sometimes their decks will come up and you can see their, their early um, 
efforts. And it, it is very rough, but you learn from getting it out there because you're going to start getting feedback when people see it. And you can, if it's a website or a software, you can continue to iterate on it and you can continue to develop it. Um, the other thing I'm a big fan of is A-B split testing, where you do two parallel websites and you do one, if you're like sort of torn between what you're going to do in a product, you might do two versions of the product, whether it's software or hardware. And, and when I say hardware, I mean physical products. It doesn't have to be hardware like computer hardware. It might be a, a monkey wrench or something, we, you know, but that, that's, it's a physical product. Whether you're doing software or hardware, where you can test theories with A-B split testing. So you have two test groups. And back in the old days, when I worked in advertising, we would do that for our clients, say it was a perfume and we would have blind tests and you'd have a bunch of different types of scents and that, and they were the people, you know, you were testing would tell you, did they like the label? Did they like the, the shape of the bottle? Did they, you know, like the way it smelled? And, and so that's the only way you're going to find out just doing it in a, uh, in a closet by yourself and, you know, not talking to people is you're going to end up with something that nobody wants. Hmm. Yeah, you're completely right. And on terms of like the embarrassment of having something that's not quite complete, I feel like it's good to swallow your pride and really take into advantage the fact that nobody knows who you are yet. <laughs> so there's yeah. no reputation for you to ruin. Well, it's true. And if, if you're afraid of, of your reputation being ruined, you probably need to go be a consultant or work, you know, in, a, in an office somewhere because entrepreneurs yeah. get pretty beat up. Um, flooding their ideas out there um, and and really bearing you know themselves right they're they're risking their reputation they're risking their credibility with their ideas and in the hopes that one out of you know 10 will stick and in Edison's case it was like one out of I don't remember 400 or something so um, you know you just got to try it it's, you, you can wait so long or play with an idea so long or develop it so long that somebody else beats you to the market and you've lost your window of opportunity. Huh. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's, that's one of my favorite things about entrepreneurship, definitely. And also computer programming. It's the, it's, it's high in risk, but it's also the potential is just limitless. Yeah. That's, it, that's what it's all about. Yeah. It, it, it is. It's about learning and it's about perfecting, but it's, it's also about the journey and the adventure of it. You know, I, I really think um, entrepreneurs are adventurers at heart. No, definitely. I remember my, my parents used to hate me as a kid when we went like hiking and because I would always find the most off trail way of getting to the top because it's just That's more good. fun. It's a good <laughs> sign. Fun. Yeah. This actually perfectly leads into the next question I had, which was, um, I wanted to ask if, uh, you know, as someone who's seen many young individuals uh, grow in their entrepreneurial experience and also their careers, um, are there any traits that you've observed certain individuals as having that perhaps set them apart or helped them or helped them to become more successful than others? Yes, um, I would say that I'm that is most definitely some knowledge that I have gained from doing this for 10 years at Texas A&M. Um, I, I can tell you specifically, I started noticing the trends about five years into what we were doing at Startup Aggieland. And where it became most apparent was when we were selecting freshmen to go into the dorm incubator. Um, the first year, we just took anybody. And the same that applies to Startup Aggieland. If they could fog a mirror, we took them in and, and you know, invited them to play with us. Same thing with the first year of the LLC. Um, if they were interested in entrepreneurship in any way, we took them in. The second year, our freshmen from the first cohort picked the, the next uh, group. 
we found that that didn't work so well because they were bringing in their friends who didn't necessarily like entrepreneurship. They just wanted to be with their buds. And, mm -hmm. and so I got to where I started handpicking them and based on the traits that I, there's a signal or something on there, but um, based on the traits that I saw in the students who are very successful in our program, both the accelerator and in the dorm incubator, um, that was how I, we started defining them on our applications, both for the dorm incubator and the accelerator. So one of the, the, the top thing I looked for was an extreme sports um, participant. Did you skateboard? If you surfed, skateboarded, kiteboarded, um, snowboarded, you were high on my radar because wow. you were not risk adverse. It wasn't about being an athlete. It was about being willing to take risks. And so that was the first thing I looked for. Um, second thing that we generally look for as a, as a group, Don Lewis and I, was were you an Eagle Scout because, or an athlete that, who competed because it showed you were organized. Um, and again, you were, you were uh, one, you were team focused, but you also could operate as an individual and do well too. Um, the third thing that became a trend that we noticed was twins. Twin, if you were a twin, um, we had, I cannot tell you how many sets of twins in our program. We didn't usually get both twins, but we would get somebody that was a twin. And so that was a really unique trend. Um, the other thing that in our exit interviews, when the students would leave the program, we would ask them questions. And um, we found that most of them were either musically inclined or very artistically inclined. So um, they had a creative streak to them. The ones who were very, very successful also had some kind of creativity in, in their background. So, so it's really, so what I'm hearing is that it's really, really important to not just focus on your technical ability, but really just get out there. That's the most important thing. And, and if, if I had to say one thing that is the new, new trend in entrepreneurship, the new way of doing things, and, and let me preface that, I spent a year after I left the McFerrin Center at the end of 2018, I was hired by a donor and I was given the opportunity to travel across the nation several times um, and globally several times. And so I visited 136 accelerators, incubators, and communal co-working, co-living spaces. And the big trend in Europe in particular is to um, learn entrepreneurship through travel experiences, through interacting with people outside of your comfort zone. And, and, if, and the basis for that, why that's so important and why I think study abroad is the future of entrepreneurship at the student level is because if you don't know, you may know what the problem is, but you don't know what the solutions are. So if you're not talking to people who are working on those solutions in other areas like other countries and you don't know what the problems are on a global scale, it's really hard to come up with some kind of innovative idea that is scalable on a, on a global basis. And if you're wanting to work towards something that investors are going to get interested in, it needs to be scalable and it needs to have global impact, even if you do it on a local level. Oh, that's super encouraging for uh, someone like in my major. I'm, I'm international studies, so we do a lot Perfect. of international uh, stuff. We have to do a study abroad. So that's we're good to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there's, and, there, and some of the countries are so entrepreneurial. I went to Sweden in particular because they're the home of the unicorns, the, the companies that you know have billion dollar valuations. Wow. That's, that's amazing. I mean, that's, that's great for me, too, because, you know, rugby player, pl plenty of risks. <laughs> what, what is it? Like rugby player, plenty of risks, oh, brain damage. Just rugby is like a top sport for entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah, it does come with, uh, unfortunately, risks of brain damage. But 
Yeah, yeah, yeah I would have never one. thought about that, that um, being a, a risk, or I, of course, being a risk taker is what being an entrepreneur is about, but I didn't ever make that kind of connection between extreme sports and being a successful entrepreneur. But. Yeah, um, extreme sport. And the reason I think the, my theory for that is because extreme sports can be done in a team environment, but also individually. And, and you don't, what you want to do is you want someone who doesn't succumb to groupthink, who can operate on their feet, who can think for themselves, and who is willing to uh, identify opportunities, mitigate the risk, and go after their dream. And I see that a lot with extreme sports enthusiasts. Uh, could you uh, could you elaborate a little bit more about the the twins thing? <laughs> that was you know nothing nothing we expected. It just turned out that way. Um, it was typically male um, twins, sets of two males, um, but we did have a couple that were male female, and it was always the male of the twin if it was male female who got involved. Um, we we initially when we started out startup Aggieland, it was a lot of males. We were ninety eight percent men, um, about eighty five percent engineering students, and. Mm-hmm you know, again, I'm talking in generalities, but the way it seemed to work in, on the student level, and, and this is not necessarily the right way for it to work, but this, the way it seemed to work at Texas A&M was that um, the engineering students would come up with these ideas and the business students traditionally were doing me too ideas, whereas the engineering students were doing uh, more innovative ideas that were original. And if you could, but then they would drop it. They would do the idea, like solve a puzzle and go, cool, I got the solution. I'm going to go on to the next puzzle. And a business student would see it, recognize the opportunity in, in the solution and the engineering student would come up with. And if we could get them to team up together on a project, the business student would drive the engineering student forward on the project. So what's really important in entrepreneurship is that it takes a village. It takes the mentors. It takes all disciplines. You can't have a team of engineers. Very rarely can you have a team of all engineers be successful in a product launch. It generally takes someone who's organized on the business side. It can take someone who's very creative on the liberal arts side or in some of the other you know, majors that um, one of the majors at AM or two of the majors at AM on the engineering side that were um, direct feeders to our program was ocean engineering and aerospace. Those are very creative engineering majors um, for us. You would think ME or double E or chemi or something, but it was aerospace and ocean engineering. And I think I have, I I don't know if this is correct, but I'm guessing with ocean engineering, a lot of those students were surfers. And so, you know, we really looked (laughs) highly for surfers. Um, if, If you could get them paired up with somebody um, who was not risk adverse, you know, who, or who was risk adverse and they would kind of ground them a little bit because you do need to be grounded if you are um, uh, someone who chases risk. Mm. But yeah, it, it just, you've got team development is really important in entrepreneurship. Um, it, it takes at least two to get something done. And if you can form a team that's got someone who's very creative, someone who's business-minded, someone who can sell. Sales is very, very important. There's the Weston Sales Institute and College of Ag. And that was a really good move by Graham Weston, who was a ag, uh, uh, I think it was ag eco major, um, found, co-founded Rackspace. Um, and I, I have somebody here with me, Kyle Ackerman. I'm not sure what his major is. What's your major, Kyle? So he's from the liberal arts schools. And I wonder if I could get him on camera just real quick for, um, to kind of tell you what he's been doing. He was in a a club that I was briefly faculty advisor for content creators in the School of Innovation. Um, And then he went on and did his own podcast. And I don't want to take his story away from him, but would it be okay if I brought him on for a couple of minutes? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I'm going to move out of the seat and let Kyle come over here. 
Hello, gentlemen. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Hey. All right. Um, so I guess I'm supposed to spew my uh, story real quick. Um, so uh, I partnered with a, an MBA student. Um, his name is Ben Wiggins, and him and I both work on the Maze Mastercast. And um, we've been doing that for almost three years now. And this business kind of organically formed itself. Um, as you guys are doing, which I applaud you for doing podcasts, um, we, we recognize that the business school needed a podcast. So, but it, so it was just a matter of time until the Maze Business School got a podcast. So when we got involved with that, a lot of people saw that what we were doing and they said, hey, could you help us? Hey, could you help us? Hey, could you help us? And that pretty much just formed the business. We're like, hey, we should turn this into something. And we got with the fine folks at, Mc, at the McFerrin Center and they brought us through, you know, I mean, you guys know the pitch, you know, going through lean, three-day startup, all of that is vital and um, all of it helps. So that's kind of my story. Um, this, so this business has been a little over a year old. And um, if I were to give you one tip, it's to really leverage your relationships. And that can be taken two different ways. One, you can screw everyone over, which is not what you're supposed to do. And I speak from experience because I've been screwed over a lot. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm no stranger to it, but you will, if you position yourself in doing the right thing each and every time through your business, you're going to be successful. And if you just keep that mentality and keep grinding, because there are days where it's really, really hard, uh, you're going to be just fine. So, so now, is, is there a place where people could find your podcast? If anyone, yes. Um, so, uh, the podcast is Maze Mastercast. So that is M-A-Y-S-M-A-S-T-E-R-C-A-S-T. So it's not Masterclass, it's Mastercast. Gotcha. And then, uh, our business is the Podcast Architects. And I'm Kyle Ackerman, and my business partner is Ben Wiggins. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, man. I appreciate y'all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So when I speak to when I speak to classes and I'm doing one at Bush School next week, I did one at uh, architecture this week. When I speak to classes, I always try to bring some of the former student or current student entrepreneurs that I work with with me. Um, I work with both former students and current students. I also work with faculty. I was with a aerospace engineering team today. I think that's why that was uppermost in my mind. But Kyle raised a good point in anything you do, even if you're not an Aggie, if you will focus on the Aggie core values when you're doing business with people, you won't go wrong. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, early before, I mean, with him, you know, he had, you know, his own co-founder, his own team, and then you keep bringing up, it's really important to have a team, but how can you really bring that team together and aligned and driven towards one big purpose and mission that your company wants to accomplish? I'm going to sh share a story with you. It's, it's a fun story. I, I Remind me if I forget to come back to it, but to answer your question, there's a book that we used to hand out. We had a library at Startup Aggieland. I don't think they do this anymore, but we would check out books that were donated by Graham Weston and others. There was a book that we had called Slicing Pie. It's a quick read. You can read it in a day, um, maybe two days if you're you know, taking your time. 
um, but it will help you identify the steps in forming a team. Um, generally, we recommend don't give equity in the beginning because teams are going to evolve. Uh, you're going to find that you don't need the people necessarily. You know, you might have a big team like seven people just get really excited at three day startup about joining. very passionate about what you're working on. And those are the ones you want. Um, they may not be contributors in the sense of, of be full speed ahead in the beginning, but as time moves on, they may become very invaluable to your team. And the fun story I was going to share with you, we had uh, two guys, um, Lucas Bazimore and Brian Canlis, and they had a office number one at Startup Aggieland. And they had a, a couple of companies in there one was revenue producing, the other one was kind of for fun. And for the fun one, uh, they went to the engineering career fair. They were engineering majors and wanted to do a booth. And I'm, they're graduated now, so I can give away their secret. But they couldn't afford a booth. It's very expensive to do a booth at uh, engineering and for the engineering career fair. So what they did was they found someone who was a no-show. And they took the paper off the desk and scribble scrabbled their name, their startup on the back side of the paper on the desk. And then they took a stack of their own resumes and set it on the tables so that looked like they were collecting resumes from people. And um, they not only fooled everybody into thinking that they were a legitimate company interviewing um, Texas A&M students for internships with their own startup, they got free box lunches out of it when the lunch people went around to give the, the vendors their lunches. So I love that story. It shows all kinds of courage. It shows all kinds of willingness to do whatever it takes. And within reason, it wasn't terribly illegal what they did, and it was very creative, and I, I was actually proud of them, and I like to share that story. They got a lot of really great interns out of it. It helped their company move fast, um, and uh, they got to meet a lot of cool people through the process as well. Mm. Nothing wrong with student startups helping other students through internships. Yeah. Um, it still counts. It's still learning. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's, that sounds like straight out of a movie. Yeah, I know. If you knew these guys, you would know that they could pull it off. <laughs> Lucas is an engineer now, and Brian's somewhere in Austin doing something good. I'm, I can't remember what, but a lot of our students have gone on to work in, in great tech companies. And so you know, even if you end up without a startup at the end of your career in a and um, the two things that you get out of participating and learning about entrepreneurship is, one, you've got more tools in your toolkit should something happen later in life and maybe there's massive layoffs and you have some resources and some understanding of how to fend for yourself, how to go out and start something or find somebody and start something with them. That happens a lot. You get a golden parachute as an executive and then you take some of that money and you team up with another guy who's got a golden parachute that got laid off and you go launch something and big companies have grown out of that very environment. Mm. Yeah. And I, I don't really think that entrepreneurship is really um, confined into, you know, someone that just makes their own business. I think entrepreneurship really goes beyond that in terms of, you know, they're, it's an innovator. You can do it wherever you can make your own company. You can do it in your own company, your own branch, your own product. I remember I, I met with this CEO of, of Chase and he would, he didn't necessarily create his own company, but he helped create the software that helped handle those electrical trend um, transactions. And in a way, that makes him an entrepreneur as well. 100%. Um, a good book that for, especially for freshmen or first year entrepreneurs, someone who's just 
uh, heard the word entrepreneur, didn't know how to spell it, and was ready to get started. It's called The Startup of You by Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn. Um, again, another easy read, The Startup of You. And I would highly recommend it. It's about personal branding. It's about having your own personal board of advisors or directors that hold you accountable, um, help mentor you as you grow in your career as a student. Um, so, you know, you, you become your own startup. And what you just said about there's more ways to be entrepreneurial than launching a company, that is truth. That is genuine truth. It can be a mission that you're launching. It could be a movement that you're launching. It could be a, a nonprofit. It can be, uh, you know, something that that engages people and provides high value, but doesn't necessarily make money. And, you know, that's the beauty of it. Sometimes it doesn't have to be a unicorn all the time. It could just be something that you're just doing for fun, and it turns out to be something bigger than you imagined. That's or, true. Maybe it doesn't even become as big as you imagined. And so what, you know, you, you build something and that's, that's yours. I agree. I agree. Build, building is good, especially during times like we are in right now. Um, it gives you something to work towards and man and woman, um, mankind was made to build. And if you suppress that, um, I think that's where you get a lot of frustrated, you know, people, um, students, are learning in the classroom every day, but the whole concept behind Startup Aggie Land and the McFerrin Center's programs and Aggies Invent and Engineering's programs, um, Creative Studies over at College of Liberal Arts, the whole idea behind this thing is to get your hands dirty and apply what you're learning in the classroom and, and really make your own future. And that's what, that's what entrepreneurs do. They don't wait for someone to hire them and tell them what their future is gonna be. They make their own future. Wow. Well, I have to say this has been awesome. Uh, I've enjoyed every single thing you've told us today. Um, unfortunately, I think this, we, this is about where we'll wrap up. Um, okay. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, well, thank this, you for having me. This is a, a great honor for me. Oh, it's an even bigger honor for us. <laughs> um, well, I guess well, one last thing I'd like to leave you with, if you, if you, you can do this on camera or not, but there's a yeah. young man in engineering named Kartik. Uh, I'm sorry, Jonathan Samuel. I worked with Kartik Shetty over at McFerrin Center as well. I'll tell you both stories real quick. Kartik Shetty needed an internship when COVID hit. McFerrin Center sent him to me, uh, his internship, and one other person has had their internships just disappeared overnight. And so I worked my network. Everybody was, it was June almost, and everybody had already gotten their interns lined up, even virtually. And I was able to get the head of the uh, innovation hub at UT to take him as their intern. So he's the first and only AM student to go intern at UT. I thought that was very entrepreneurial for, of him. And then Jonathan Samuel in the College of Engineering, he created a, a hack to Zoom to, and you probably read about him already, but he created Zoom Utils. And it's not a money-making uh, process for him, or project for him. He just wanted to help other students. And now students at UCLA, Harvard, um, all over Texas A&M are using his hack to Zoom to be able to keep their classes and their meetings organized with a one-touch, one-click kind of um, dashboard. So very proud of those two guys. Yeah. And sorry, I should have asked before I started wrapping up, is there anything that you would like to you know, plug or, or just advertise to uh, the people who are going to be listening to this? Sure. I'm, I'm, I'd like to give just a little shout out to the uh, Lake Walk Innovation Center since we're using their facilities today. And that was started by an Aggie 100 founder named Doss Cunningham. And his, he was an AM graduate. And by the time he was about 34 years old, he had a billion dollar company. He started it in the warehouse that is Blackwater Draw now. And then he built this beautiful facility. It looks like something was plunked down from Napa Valley or a Google campus. 
in the Texas A&M Bio Corridor area, uh, five minutes from Texas A&M on the shuttle bus route right next to POV Coffee. And so that shows you can do something really great quickly if you've got something that people want. And what he, he's known for is C4, the nutraceutical bodybuilding pattern. Um, he oh, yeah. came up with C4. Wow. That's, that's a big one. I remember those days taking C4. <laughs> yeah, we started Bagulan used to get quite a lot of free C4 and, and Red Bull. So, and, and one hour energy shot or seven hour energy shots too. So, I need to get in on that. <laughs> well, our days were pretty long sometimes. Our peak hours for, for the use by the students was 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. And I hung with them, I was right in there with them. So, um, oh, God. And I thought my engineering student schedule was bad <laughs> yeah our architecture back when you know everything was on campus you could walk through langford and they'd be sleeping on the floor and um you know it's just different different lifestyle but sometimes when you're in that creative flow you just got to stick with it yeah awesome thank you so much shelly you're welcome thanks for having me good luck thank to everybody you too thank you so much for attending thank you so much for being um so involved with uh aggie students as well Oh, my pleasure. I, I really enjoy it. It keeps me um, engaged myself. I, I love working with young people. So gig them. <laughs> gig them.